You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 42, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format where you can learn about what physicians face through expert analysis. Well, the flu has been kicking my butt this last week and a half, and so I apologize for those of you who wait expectantly at your inbox for a new episode every week. Uh, So I was unable to record my interview that I had planned, and now we're ready to embark on our spring break. And although I love you all, I'm not going to delay my spring break vacation by another week or day. (laughs) So there you go. This is actually an interview that I did a few months ago on the Great Matters Radio podcast with Mike Devine. If you recall, if you're a regular listener, Mike was on where we discussed mental health issues uh, and the problems within the industry. I guess there's an industry of mental health. Uh, and this is my discussion with him on just the U.S. healthcare system, as which is usually why I'm asked to uh, appear on other shows. And we discuss, uh, you know, simple questions like, how do you fix it all? And so we go sort of facetiously, my title, of course, today that... U.S. healthcare system, how to fix it, and other simple questions. Uh, clearly, we don't get to the answer, uh, but we have a really interesting discussion on scarcity, on pricing models, solutions that exist out there, and I think uh, we talk about direct primary care, we talk about health insurance model, pharmaceuticals, shortages, all sorts of things, What turns out to be a very interesting discussion, I think. His father is a pre- previous purchaser for hospital organizations, and so you get a little interesting perspective there is from a the uh, purchasing standpoint uh, for the hospitals and large organizations as far as big, deep discounts and uh, group purchasing organizations, which we discussed way back in episode five when I discussed things with Mary Mass. I've got some great interviews lined up in the future, I promise you. I'm going to go enjoy my spring break. As always, I direct you to theparadox.com. That's P-R-A-D-O-C-S dot com slash 042. That's the show notes page for this episode. There you can find a few links to the Great Matters radio podcast 
Uh, you can also find links to the show that I just referenced now in uh, episode five, uh, where we talk about group purchasing organizations and pharmacy benefit managers with Dr. Mary Mass. And if you're crippled with guilt and want to support the show, all the money raised at the Patreon page at patreon.com slash the paradox goes towards the promotion and production of the show. Uh, you can become a patron supporter there. So without further ado, my discussion on the simple question of how to fix healthcare on the Gray Matters Radio Podcast. Enjoy. Good evening, everybody. Gray Matters Radio, another episode. Can't believe it. Actually, we're still actually here, you know, despite what people have been telling us. Uh, yeah, we're actually staying on the air. So welcome, everybody, to another awesome episode of Gray Matters Radio. And uh, what is Gray Matters Radio? Well, it is a show like any good therapy session that operates somewhere in the world of the in-between. So why does the show even exist? What's even the point of it? Well, in case you haven't realized it, our country is a, is a, is a bit of a bad marriage right now. Everyone's just fighting. No one can get along. Can't get anything done. So country's in need of some good therapy. So that's where this show exists. And who am I? What qualifies me to even do anything like this? Well, I am Michael Devine. I am America's counselor. My job to try to get everyone into the room and be able to talk and solve the world's problems. Now, naturally, I would not be able to do any of this on my own. It's too big of a task. So I brought in my best friend, Bill, of 30 years, the armchair quarterback, the armchair therapist himself, Bill Reed. Bill, what's going on, my man? Hello, Hello, Mike. How you doing, my man? Not too bad, man. So now you are the disembodied voice today because, well, you know, we live in the Midwest and our uh, weather, frankly, it kind of sucks a little bit. So, uh, yeah, you couldn't be here. So we got you on the phone. So, I mean, a little disappointing. Uh, You know know the old saying, if you you don't like the weather, wait an hour and it will change. So, you know, exactly. Yeah. So here we are. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it was an interesting um, week after last week's episode. Um, we got a lot of we got a lot of feedback, actually. It's actually really cool. Um, one, it's nice to know what we're doing is actually resonating with people. So I think that, that in and of itself, I think, is kind of cool. But we had a lot of people kind of um, emailing us, messaging us, um, talking about their own stories, um, their own frustrations, and how um, some of the things we're really nailing upon they didn't actually even realize. Um, it was really, really nice. Um, our, our guest tonight, uh, Dr. Eric Larson, we're going to introduce him here in a second. He's actually someone that reached out to me, um, and just kind of pointing out, um, like, you know, listening to the show and mentioned that, you know, a couple other sides to the equation of healthcare. He's talking about the doctor side of it. And that's frankly, that's the one side, Bill, we haven't really had anybody on, have we? It's always been the, the administrator side. It's always been maybe my personal experiences. We have not had a clinician on have we exactly correct and you know it's really good to, to get another perspective um on this whole situation that we've we've been discussing here in, in detail so it's you know it's very exciting um to get another point of view on what is really going on with this whole mess i mean it's necessary i mean it is it's vitally necessary to get that other perspective because you know as we were talking well, before we went on the show we're not we're not trying just to say this is what we believe and then just lock ourselves into it. We're legitimately trying to explore this thing from multiple sides so we can get yeah. a clear picture of what the hell's going on. I'm not going to lie. Tonight's episode I was a little worried uh, about, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, you know, you know, basically, as a as a middle class guy, I think a lot of times because hey, listen, you 
you make it, you know, relatively decent living, live in a nice, you know, nice neighborhood. You got everything you should possibly kind of need. You know, we don't make lots of money, but hey, at least we're, you know, make enough money to provide and we got insurance, which a lot of people don't. And so I think sometimes it almost feels like we're not able to really talk about, you know, the things that bother us, the things that frustrate us almost like because we're not, we don't have a lot of a hardship um, or an extreme hardship. We almost don't have the right to be able to talk about it. And I think healthcare is one of those as a, as a middle class guy, it, it, our insurance kind of sucks. I mean, it is a bit of a burden. Yeah. Um, I mean, our daughter had like a two and a half day NICU stay. Um, she didn't have to have any um, respirator or any real big um, interventions, but dude, she was in the hospital for two and a half days and we had like an $11,000 bill we had to pay off. Not even like, yeah, dude, not even like, dude, I'm not even talking like, well, you know, that's what it was before. Not dude, straight up. I and mean, we do, we were paying that off for a while. Um, I had well, knee surgery. Would. Yeah. yeah, dude, I had knee surgery in June um, where it was a meniscus surgery. And I mean, dude, it was like, two thousand dollars before the deductible just for the damn mri and um, i mean we still got random bills twenty dollars here forty dollars here i mean it's funny how those we we get those still to this day where like you think everything's paid off from you know a medical visit or surgery or, or take your pick and all of a sudden you know you go to the mailbox and you bring in the mail and you're like wait well here's another bill for and then we take your pick 385 dollars or 642 dollars you're like wait a minute they just keep rolling in from everywhere don't they yeah, it, you know, it does. And so, I mean, then our daughter, um, she has, it's, it's like this reactive airway uh, disease. And it's kind of like asthma, but they can't quite diagnose it. And we found like one medication at work. They didn't want to prescribe it. We take it to the, the, the pharmacy and they're like, well, it's not a preferred medicine and they don't want to cover it. Mm-hmm. And literally, so we had to sit there and go through the trouble of going through another medication and literally... It, it, it she kept getting sick every two weeks um yeah i mean it was just like why are we taking out of the hands of doctors um you know and then the, yeah. the the one medication was on back order um and i mean literally the news the other day i was hearing about there's a medication called boost par it's a very unique um anti-anxiety drug um, that pretty much one company basically makes and they shut the they shut it down because i guess one it was a profit issue and the other was just i guess the, some of the facilities weren't up to par so we got all these issues that, yeah, I mean, we don't not not have insurance, but wh- nobody is talking about why our insurance is so expensive, what they're doing for us. It seems to be Obamacare really didn't affect any of us at all. Um, right. Not really. You know, and it's just, you know, and don't even get me started on the, the mental health aspect we're going to talk about next week um, with insurance. But it just it, – it, there's a lot of things wrong and no one's talking about us just be, and once again just because we have insurance i shouldn't be afraid to talk about it but it does bother me a lot um so what well, they, they do kind of shame not i mean they, i mean some people will kind of shame you as well if you bring it up saying what do you, what's your problem you have insurance or you know blah 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 you make a decent living you should be able to afford this and you know like you said, I mean, healthcare is just pretty darn expensive. It doesn't matter who you are, unless you're the one percent. I mean, it's seven thousand dollar bill. <laughs> I know, and so it's just, yeah, it's it's you know, it, it there's some major problems, and I feel like this is one that we have to dive into a little bit. And so I think tonight we got a great panel. So I'm gonna first introduce. Um, my dad, Richard Devine, the professor, um, he's been with us uh, since the beginning. One, he's my dad, so he kind of has to. I mean, it'd be kind of a move if 
I go, hey, Dad, can you be a guest on the show? And he said no. So he's been here since the beginning. He's a, he's he's a, blue. He was a former he's chief blue resource officer of Mount Carmel Health, a VP of supply chain. You know, 15, 20 years, what experience in consulting a supply chain. So obviously the guy knows the supply chain, right? So, Dad, welcome as always. Thank you. Thank you. And so now tonight's uh, special guest, uh, Dr. Eric Larson. Uh, Dr. Larson, he's an anesthesiologist in Michigan, private practice, um, also host of the podcast, The Paradox. Now, I'm not going to lie, Dr. Larson, first of all, how are you doing? You there? Appreciate it. You know, Dr. Larson, I first have to admit, all right, you're, the name of your podcast is pretty darn pretty darn awesome i'm not gonna lie the paradox is pretty cool um who came up with it i'm just because that is damn catchy i'm sorry (laughs) so i have the problem i tell far too many puns uh which my kids will be the first to admit (laughs) and um so it's just a play on words and paradox uh unfortunately actually because it's uh p-a-r-a-d-o-c-s which is i think clever since i always have just another doc and we just talk about various issues it turns out that if people try and search it, they're not spelling it correctly. <laughs> so, and, and it's also one that I'm not the first to come up with. I, I launched a podcast, and I've probably ran into three or four people, uh, other docs, like, oh, yeah, that's what I call my boat. Or, you know, if I ever had a, you know, I, I, they'd all come up with the same name. So anyway, but I, I thought it was unique until – and then also the domain name was taken, so I had to do it at theparadox.com. But it still worked out fine. So what what actually made you start your podcast? Because I know I wanted to do it for a while, um, but I'm not going to lie, I was really scared, especially the topics that I'm going after, because as a clinician in private practice, it's like I always prided myself as a counselor to not bring in politics and let my opinions be known. It was always a running joke. People would always laugh when they asked for my opinion because they know I would never get it. And so it took for me a while to be comfortable enough to get to the point in my career to where I felt like I could do it now. Um, what made you, what drove you to that decision to start doing a podcast? Uh, unlike you, I've had no trouble giving my opinion to people when they ask uh, in the <laughs> OR. Uh, I've, I've always been sort of interested in politics. Unfortunately, uh, I ran for state house and nearly won uh, in 2010. Uh, we oh, wow. Awesome. Called it, we call it the near miss in my family. So fortunately, mm. I was able to stay in practice. Uh, I was listening to podcasts for a while. I used to listen to the radio and just kind of regular talk radio and, or whatever because I listen to plenty of music in the operating room as an anesthesiologist. So the last thing I need to do is listen to more music when I get in the car. So I listened to the radio, and, and then eventually I discovered these podcasts a few years ago, and I could listen to whatever I wanted, specific subjects, whether it's we should say basketball or on religion or politics or, you know, whatever. But I wouldn't have to listen to the commercials and it could be focused on, you know, a certain uh, topic. And after about two years of that, I thought, you know, I've got some pretty interesting, I think, takes on medicine and politics. I have a unique perspective as a physician. Uh, Maybe I could do it. And I looked into the cost and it's fairly inexpensive to do. It just takes some expertise as far as figuring out how to edit. And I mean, my creation of a website took forever. Uh, but once I figured out the sort of the logistics of it, it was, it was pretty easy. I had about three episodes in mind and then I didn't know what I'd talk about after that. Uh, I just finished recording episode 35. So I've managed to come up with more prob- more topics because it turns out there aren't just a few problems in medicine. <laughs> there are quite a few. Uh, and that's, and so, and that's anyway. the thing no one really understands. I think when you're in this industry, um, it, it literally, I think it, there's so many problems, so many angles to it. Um, I, I think really 
it, it would blow people's mind. And that's where I think some people try to oversimplify it almost, don't you think? Oh, yeah. And and uh, and I would say so my so my podcast focuses on uh, it's geared towards both clinicians and non-clinicians. So I try and if I have someone go a little too far in the weeds to, on the technical basis, I try and bring it back because I want to have physicians because we call from all sorts of different specialties. And so I don't know what's going on in the primary care range, uh, although I, my, I'm married to a pediatrician, so I know somewhat what she's facing. Uh, but it's it's easy to not to just be kind of lost in your specialty and not really know what's going on in the, the broader market. And physicians are generally pretty stupid about a lot of things and I'll, um, because they don't they kind of just hunker down and do whatever their thing. And so it's good to kind of have a better feeling for what you're facing and, you know, why you're experiencing problems. And then it helps the layperson. And I really don't use that in a disparaging way, but just the people who aren't not really, uh, you know, reality, don't have a yeah. hand in medicine, right? Sort of understand what we're facing and why it's so difficult for us to deliver that care that's so frustrating sometimes. Because it turns out, not surprisingly, my health care sucks too, as far as insurance. And I deal with the so same problem. You're not the only one. <laughs> no, it turns out, and it's funny because we had um, a friend of ours was, uh, whose husband is a teacher, and she was talking to us one day. And she's like, "Oh, well, you know, you guys, you got a maid because you've got great healthcare." I'm like, "My healthcare is worse than yours. You're a teacher. You actually have really good healthcare. Uh, mine's, hor- I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's horrible, like I can't get care, but it's not like it's inexpensive. It's not like I don't deal with the same problems with copays and all that other stuff. I mean, it, so." I can relate to a lot of those things. Um, but this is hilarious. I mean, who, I mean, seriously, I mean, so we have Dr. Larson who going, my health insurance isn't that good. Dad, you're retired on, on Medicare. Is your insurance any good, really? Eh. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'll tell you the truth. It's probably for your bread and butter stuff, but then you have to really carry all these supplemental insurances. Mm-hmm. That you know from different plans on how how much you can afford, you know uh, you just can't go Medicare alone, or you'll you know it, it'll break you. You know yeah. you have to carry the supplemental, so uh, it's it, it's not it it's it's there, but I wouldn't put a big star on top of it. Let's put it that way. So, and the yeah. drugs are basically your maintenance type drugs. You you have to take your book with you. From your drug plan to make sure when the doc uh, prescribes <laughs> that the drug's going to be covered, which is nine times out of ten, wow. it is not. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. yeah, of course it's not. I mean, like but, so, like yeah. so, Medicare, no. Uh, Doctor Larson, no. Bill Reed, is yours good? I mean, would you say you like your insurance? Well, do you think it's good? Well, I can tell you that the what's offered through my work, um, and I don't have it. I actually have it through my wife's work because she she her insurance is, is better. Um, but my understanding is the, the one that's offered at my work is not the greatest, and not to put that down, but that's what other people have told me. But the one we have, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but I, you know, like like you, you know, Dick had said there, you know, I wouldn't put a star on top of that either, you know. And if my wife was here, she would definitely tell you the same thing. I, I would imagine. <laughs> And that's where it's like, where's this? And this is like a subset. I mean, this is a pretty diverse subset. None of us sitting there going, yeah, it's great. And so, I mean, the only people who I've seen who have really good insurance, I have a lot of clients that are like CEOs, COOs who have like those golden Cadillac plans where they don't got to pay anything. Um, that's why they think it's great. 
Yeah, they're like, oh, it's awesome. Like, I like, I'm I'm an out of network clinician. I don't take insurance at all. And so my clients, I do out of network billing forms. Mm -hmm. And the really wealthy ones, they'll get like, you know, uh, like 85% back um, from out of network coverage. Where I don't know how many of Mm -hmm. my clients that have the insurance going, oh, we ain't gonna get anything. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no one's insurance is good. And but why is nobody talking about that? I think it's me. It's almost like that shame. I mean, Dr. Larson, do you, I mean, cause it sounds like you, I know you're in private practice. I don't know if you do much with insurance, but <laughs> I don't, I, I hate insurance. Um, what, what do you think there is a stigma that why aren't more of us talking about this? Well, I mean, let's just back up a little bit because the affordable care act or Obamacare yeah. passed. Was that 10 years ago now? I can't remember exactly when it was, uh, gosh, it was the day yeah, after about... my birthday. I remember that. Um, but it, it's because there's a huge problem with the healthcare delivery system in this country, with yeah. uh, with access and with, and I, I think I'd say more specifically, do I think the health, I have access to healthcare. I mean, I can get care, yeah, uh, but it's really expensive. It's far more expensive than it should be. I mean, I mean that's why it sinks, and that's why people who don't complain about it, it's because they're either not paying for it, um, or there are people obviously who have trouble getting access to to certain parts of the care, or have to go through you know, a giant algorithm to get, you know, through see for specialists before they get a medicine or a prior authorization. But uh, I, I don't think people aren't talking about it. I think people are just, I think they're just sort of trying to figure out how to solve the problem with the current, the way the current state is. And that was what the Affordable Care Act was, right? Yep. You had a delivery system which required insurance coverage, essentially, to deliver care. And it wasn't working. And so we thought we'd just double down on that, right? And and add some more. Maybe if we just had a couple thousand more pages of regulations and rules, uh-huh. we could solve those problems. And I think we've seen that that's not the case. Well, and especially in the, in the national debate, it seems to be either get rid of Obamacare, which okay, great, but then there's not a follow-up discussion to okay, then then what? Or we're seeing a lot. Oh, no, you're on your own. You're yeah. on your own. Well, <laughs> it, you, know, it, you also saw a lot of shifting once the Affordable Health Care Act came out is the employers, even hospitals, they started shifting a lot of the insurance over to the employees, you know, because there was the one issue, and I can't remember what it all was, but there was the one provision to where the employer could be, uh, could be taxed or fined or something of that nature if he was offering what they consider to be a uh, above, above standard health care. The Cadillac uh, plans, right? To the yeah. employees. Yeah, the Cadillac, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And that basically the employers and everybody saw that as a way to, to cut down what they had to put in to increase their bottom lines that they started saying, we're just offering the base packages, you know, and we're going to start doing a shift so that, you know, the, you know, the responsibility was now you were going to have to uh, pay more to access less, you know, and that's been going on. I mean, even with uh, the affordable health care going is places will offer you the insurance, but it's it's been basically pared down. Oh, it, it has. Yeah. And, and you also I remember I worked for an insurance company for six months as an intern. I did a lot of like process improvement with a case management program. And I remember there was a, a good colleague 
he did a lot of UR utilization review. And for those of you who don't really know what that is, they're the people that clinicians or hospitals will call to basically say, hey, this is the services that we want to provide. Will you approve it? And there's once again, there's like algorithms. I mean, they get, they do all kinds of stuff with it. And he goes, he goes, listen, man, we're not trying to cut granting off at the knees here. He goes, if, if anything, <laughs> we're the ones that are really like holding back the hospital industry and the medical industry from charging whatever it is that they want. Yeah. We got to make some hard decisions to keep costs down. But the reality is that, you know, that's the job that we're doing. And it's like, the one thing you're never hearing, and this is where Dr. Larson, I am dying to find out from your perspective as a clinician, is that it, it seems the biggest problem we have is how much healthcare cost. We've talked about it once again on the supply device manufacturer side, but as a doctor, I know you have a rather probably a completely different perspective of the delivery of healthcare and why is it so damn expensive to begin with? So I know it's probably a big question that could be like 20 episodes, but what what do you think <laughs> where do we begin on this one like why i mean what is it people really need to know especially this middle class people that we're talking about who are really taking a brunt of it why why is it so damn expensive well we have what 30 minutes uh to figure out how to solve the US healthcare system <laughs> no pressure at all yeah <laughs> well i so i think it, and the and when i responded to your tweet i I, I think what is important is we need to try and look at the root of the problem. Exactly. And I think if you figure out what the root is, then you have to tr – from there, you have to try and get a, find a solution. The reason the Affordable Care Act uh, or Obamacare failed is because it, was, it had a broken system that it tried to fix with the same system and just unbreak it. So even if you were to repeal it, you'd be right back where we started, right? And so where, what was the problem with the system before? And I would argue – that you have a complete disconnect in a in a uh, you have a you have a transaction between a patient and a physician or someone providing a service healthcare service whether it's you know imaging or laboratory or hospital and neither of those people are talking to each other about cost and when you have a situation like that you have you have you have neither party that is interested in cost truly now they may indirectly see the effects of cost whether it's trouble with reimbursement or, you know, how much, what you can get access to or how much things cost or premiums and co-pays and et cetera. But essentially you don't have any, you have no one who is rationing uh, themselves in, in, a, in a rational way. So for instance, you know, you wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy 80% ground beef if you had no, if there were no price tags on anything, you would be picking up the, the filet mignon or whatever uh, and there'd be also no reason for the grocery store to stop you from taking that and to jack up their prices because you don't know what they are for your food insurance that's you know paying for everything. So we have really created in this country, I think uh, mostly unintentionally in the sense that it can't, got to as bad as it is. I think the players in the system and, uh, and physicians are just as guilty of that as our patients and hospital systems and you know devices providers. Uh, we've created a system that is that can't work and we couldn't probably possibly design a more expensive way to deliver healthcare than the way we have done it to this point and so anyone who's coming to you with any sort of simple solution uh is either ill-informed or they're stupid uh or lying i mean i guess it's probably 
probably what I <laughs> sum it up. So, well, not, and I, I think not even that. Not only that, I mean, is that it, it seems like all we have is these dichotomous things of simple solution, overly simplifying, and scapegoating, or we're going to scrap and redo everything, which mm-hmm. scares the crap out of people and has no chance of passing. Mm-hmm. And then what what seems like what we're almost left with, I use this analogy, I think, pre- last week, is that I feel like I'm like a parent of of some of a child that has a heroin addiction and there's enabling. It's like, well, if we kick them out, you know, they're going to die on the you know, they're going to die on the street. I'd rather them just, you know, snort heroin instead of shooting it on my couch. It'll be better. And it's right. like. It's like, no, we know for a fact where this system is going if we keep it the same, but it seems like we're just so damn scared of changing the system. We're so damn scared of what might happen. They use the tactics of, well, we're going to take away our innovation. Um, you're going to wait forever for long lines. Um, it's going to be like, you know, Canada. It's, it's, it seems like it's all fear tactics. Um, where do you really feel as though that middle ground is then? Is it, are there salient steps? Is that maybe what the conversation should be then? Just, okay, let's talk about getting healthcare costs under control before we start talking about anything else. And this is where we need to target. So wh- what do you think, where do you think we need to start then? Well, that's, that's a tough question, right? Because when you have moved any sort of um, industry into the political realm, it's going to become simplified uh it's going to be all fear-mongering because that's how all politicians move things is through is through fear uh either for adding you know it's another group coming for things or someone's going to win someone's going to lose i mean in most market markets and that's most of the things that in our country everybody both sides win right i mean you buy a car you think it's a value and the car company but now there are obviously regulations that you know raise prices and things like that too but i mean essentially you have you have direct transactions. So you have everyone has skin in the game, and they have a reason to recognize that. Oh, I'm charging too much, or this is you know it's charging too much. So I'm just going to go to someone else. So the problem we have, I think, in medicine really is because it's so dominated by these the third party payers, and the government payers are so huge, and that'd be Medicaid and Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very difficult to try and provide solutions now. The only the, the nice thing about this, and this is what I've talked about in a number of my episodes of my show, is because medicine is becoming so astronomically expensive, and, that, and like I said, that includes me. I mean, I look for ways of saving money because the premiums are crazy. Yep. And then even when you pay the premiums, you have to pay you know, your deductible. And then there are co-pays on top of that. And so you can spend you know, many thousands of dollars uh, after tax, and it's, it's hard in the family. I, think, I mean, it's really hard. And uh, so that if you, there are people now because the, the the gap is so large. There are people who are finding ways to save significant amounts of money and to provide care in a way that is more enjoyable for physicians and for patients as well. Uh, that I think is that provides a blueprint to show that actually markets work. Actually, you can get care, most of your care, because most care does not really truly require insurance. Like, not that many people are hit by a train, right? Or have, but that you have a sort of catastrophic coverage for things, but for most of your care is going to be, it can be covered in other ways. And so that's what we focused on with it, you know, and so I think, I think those are the ways only through examples of real world examples that works. Can you, can you do that? And I mean, I could give you a couple right now if you, if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know one thing, like, I don't know if you have a lot of experience. I've seen a lot of doctors kind of taking 
this responsibility in their own hands where it's a lot of the membership-based preventative care, right. um, the concierge mm-hmm. medicine, where it's so far cheaper for the patient and the doctor is making a good solid profit. That model seems like everybody wins, at least on the preventative care med, um, route. Yeah, and, and so there there's concierge, and people most people have heard of concierge medicine. Mm-hmm. There's also something called direct primary care, and and there's sometimes use, the terms are used synonymously, but they are probably, if you talk to people who are direct primary care f- providers, uh, they would say that it's different. And, and I would say the difference with con- a concierge medicine would be someone who is providing uh, 24-7 access to a physician, unlimited visits, uh, usually, uh, usually just better access to a, to a clinician, uh, and that's in addition to your premium on your insurance. A direct primary care is someone who said, I'm just not even going to be part of this third-party system. And so I'm going to just provide a membership, like a gym membership. And I was actually just looking because I think I'm going to be switching to one this year as well. Um, but it's like $50 to maybe $60 a month, 24-7 access to a physician, mm-hmm. usually massively discounted medications, massively discounted imaging, massively discounted um, medications. And you have and you have probably a, a clinician who now can talk, sit down and talk to you for an hour if you need to. Uh, so that the, and, and they have no overhead, or essentially no overhead, right? They have to rent a, an office. They usually have one, maybe zero employees, maybe two. But for the most part, they have very little overhead. Uh, and, and it's sort of almost like practicing medicine the way many of us envision when we go into medical school. And one of the things they talk about in my show is when you look at clinicians and and for physicians, you know, what is the number one satisfier for your job professionally? And what would you think most physicians would say? Uh, helping people, maybe? The At paycheck? Least... <laughs> <laughs> so the paycheck is there, but, it, the, but, but 80% of physicians, the number one satisfier professionally for them is the relationship with the patient. Mm-hmm. Very few people go into medical school, and I, and I would say this is when I talk to anybody, when I talk to a physician about this, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what it is, because that's what they all think, but they always kind of think everyone thinks something else, right? But it is, it is that you want to go, it's, a, it's a, not selfless, but it's one where you want to help someone. It's a challenging field where you can use your medicine and your, your science background, uh, but that is, that is what drives people into medicine. And so anything you can do to enhance that is going to be a gigantic satisfier for physicians. And if physicians are happy and enjoying their job, guess what? They're going to provide better care, and right. patients are going to be a whole lot happier too and probably get a lot better care. Uh, in my second episode, I talked to one of the uh, a MedPeds physician here in town in Grand Rapids, and she was in the traditional um, traditional system where you go in, you know, insurance base, where you're going and you have a visit every 10 minutes, and you already start out, they already double-booked you to start, and so you're already one patient behind uh, to start your day. And you just kind of run through the mill, right? And you come with two problems. They can only see you for one because you yep. can only bill for one at a time, right? Exactly, because that's the way yeah. the insurance wait, is. Right. Wait, wait. Are you saying that's why we're always waiting all that time because they double book them right from the start? Well, I mean, it's – yeah, right. I mean, it, it's not – It's allowed. It's like it, – well, <laughs> well, they quite, where are you going to go, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where, where are you going to turn So, yeah, so – this is the right. This is the problem, and and so when so when you have a system that is designed, I mean, as it is designed now with the third-party payer system, and I'll just that, use that broadly, 
concert commercial payers uh, like you know Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna or whatever, and then you have your government payers, Medicare, Medicaid. So the third-party payer system <clears throat> will only pay you for seeing people. So if I take care of your problem over the phone or through an email like, oh, you took a picture of your skin infection or something, I'm like, yeah, that's not a big deal. You just scraped yourself or whatever. I don't get paid for that. But if I have a membership model, my my whole my whole sort of being is to try and to know you really well so that when you send something, I know if, you know, are you, you know, crazy? Are you someone who's always complaining about stuff? Or is this a legitimate concern that I should, that I should worry about? Uh, but I can, but I'm not, to, I'm sort of want you not to come into the office or need to, right? It's kind of a hassle. And if I can take care of primary care problems, which guess what? A lot of primary care problems don't require you coming in to get seen. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so if I can do that, then I've, then I've saved, then I've made everyone a lot happier, right? And and I now can see eight patients a day. So as a as a clinician, I can sit down, I can spend forty five minutes with you, and really get to know you. We might talk about your kids, your family, uh, and and then uh, your and then I'm going to know you really well. And it and also in most states, I think forty four states or so, I think uh, you can dispense medications. And so most of these direct primary care, as part of their benefit to to seeing them, part of their membership benefit is to provide wholesale price, prices on medications. So for instance, I can give you lisinopril, which might cost you five bucks a month, and I can give it to you for you know, 25, 30 cents a month supply. Not only that, but now I know when you're coming in for refills, if you're not coming in off enough, I know you're missing doses. Or I could say, you should have been here before. And like, oh, that was a twice a day medication. I thought it was once. And I can... And I can prevent those problems from occurring, you know, which you might recognize in six months or 12 months, you know, with your yearly physical or whatever. So you have a better handle on, on your patients, and you're also practicing medicine probably a lot more the way you want. Other DPC docs, they go to, they do house calls. And I talk to a pediatrician who that's where he sees all his patients. He doesn't even have an office. Wow, he really? just does house calls. And, I, you know, he's in the um, metro New York I know, area. I didn't know that was still a thing. I didn't know that was still a thing. Yeah. And, I, and he loves it, right? Yeah. He loves it yeah. because he can go. He's he's taking care of kids. Now he's charging. I'm trying to remember. I mean, all these prices, are, of course, online because it's just like a any other sort of I'm, shocking. Their prices are actually listed. Uh, it's like seventy, <laughs> eighty dollars per person or something uh, per month. And then you know, add kids, you add like fifteen dollars a month or something like that. So it's a little bit more expensive. But you know, he's coming to your house. Your kid needs a five-year well child check in your house. They're maybe you know in their room or wherever that's comfortable for everybody kid doesn't have to go into the office you're not sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of sick kids uh brings a vaccine with them maybe or whatever and just takes care of everything like that uh and then most things you can be taken care of over the phone or you know whatever and again if it's urgent they're not going to the office anyway they're going to the emergency care room or the urgent care but they these docs will sometimes do laboratories and to your story about the knees and you know coming up i'm going too long but to your knee surgery, uh, you know, this doc here in Grand Rapids, MRIs are, I think she was getting for $350. That includes the reading. Wow. Uh, so, that's you know, that's... And this is what's crazy to me is that it, it seems like when the, the, when the motivation by PCP doctors and direct care doctors is, I want to spend more time with my patients. Um, I want to take control of my own destiny and almost get out of the system and, and, and almost be 
the supplier, the uh, you know, on the supply chain, where I can offer these discounted prices. Now, now, Dad, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this one because one of the things that we were talking about in one of our episodes was on the hospital side, where a lot of times, like, well, how many people are you seeing? Well, if you're not going to see that many, we're not even going to sell this to you. So, so would this even yeah. fly at the hospital level with what they're doing on the direct care level? You know, I I I have heard. Uh, in driving, especially in consulting, I heard a lot about the concierge medicine concept, you know, and I actually did think to see how that would work at a hospital, you know, uh, with the fact that once the doctor, then how's that referred into the hospital? But, you know, the what you were saying, doctor, I heard on so many occasions from the physicians, why does the hospital require me to have so much paperwork why am I so bogged down in listening to guys like you <laughs> when I should be sitting there with my patients? He, he goes, you take away a lot of quality time. The other part is, is why is there so much paperwork that is being required? I have to keep so many people off of staff just to keep up with the paperwork and all that. And yeah. that's the thing. Uh, you take away that managed care aspect and that paperwork. That's why I don't do managed care they tell me how to do right. my notes i need to hire somebody to make phone calls and do ur i mean it, it you're right i mean that i imagine that has to be a big part of it um but i also imagine the same breath though it's how much does greed play into it because it seems like you would make a lot more money the other way i mean is that the main difference is a hospital's main goal to make money versus direct care doctors and more clinicians or more about you know serving the patient well well <laughs> You know, it's really, it, 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 I don't know, I used to sit there and become a little cynical on it, but <laughs> I, I used to sit there in the, in the, in the, in the C-suite, the finance and all that, and what's the first thing that starts happening? Well, our business is slow. We're not making any money. <laughs> well, the, the, the key being is this, are, are the doctors doing a great job of keeping the patients away from the hospitals? You know, or are the doctors, you know, um, are the patients because of managed care uh, contracts and all that they have to go to the other hospitals but unfortunately hospitals make money by having sick people go through the system you know um, and if there was anything designed to keep them away from the hospital you know then they're going to look at it and saying well we can't length of stay well we have to reduce length of stay and that means, it, you know, you're going to lose money because instead of keeping them five days, you're only going to get paid for three days. Or if they get an acquired infection in the hospital, we're going to assume those costs because they came in healthy and now they're sick. You know, it, it, you know I was sitting there just listening and all that, so I'm wondering how that would work, you know, on a hospital level. I mean, yes, yeah, so, I mean, Dr. Larson, I mean, is it – is it really, is it possible to do it at the hospital level or is it more kind of like what we're seeing with outpatient surgery centers? Is it more doctors just need to get into the hospital business? And I bring this up because now I'm, um, I was in Dallas for several years. I grew up here in 03, moved down to Dallas just for grad school and recently moved back up. And now there was a big thing. I'm not sure if it made the news up here. It was called Forest Park Medical Center. And so it was basically a group of doctors who had this idea of, listen, we want to provide concierge 
uh, medical care uh, to our patients. Um, we're going to own the hospital. It's going to be us. We're going to be in charge of it, literally on the surface, to where we're going to be in control of all of this. Um, and we can bring our costs down. We're in control of our own destiny and everything. Now, the thing is, though, they started when the costs are astronomical. And they started getting into practices. They're a lot of them were bariatric doctors. And so they started basically doing two and three surgeries, basically almost tandem back to back they were having residents doing surgeries that they shouldn't be doing um they were double dipping basically um how they were doing their billing they were recommending procedures that shouldn't have been done and only having them done at their hospital and literally they they opened up three hospitals state-of-the-art swanky places and i believe three of the doctors are in jail right now and the all the hospitals are shuttered and so i so i asked that question of that's the only experience I've seen of a, of a group of doctors trying this model, and it seemed like greed kind of got in the way. What are you hearing? What are you seeing on your end? Well, I guess I'll first start by saying that um, you know one of the most famous physician-run hospitals is called Mayo Clinic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, may have heard of it. Yeah, might have heard of it. <laughs> might have. And heard I of would. It. And, and I guess I would. Who runs the system is not really that important, in my opinion. Um, I think it's important for people who are stakeholders to have um, some sort of power or sway over the way the system runs. But, you know, whether you have – it it doesn't make any more sense having a bunch of engineers run General Motors. Now, it might be helpful having people with the engineering background who are in administration or the with the, in the executive, you know, the C-suite, to have some idea of what's going on because – that's important because you need to know how your company runs. But just because you're an engineer and you know what's going on, you know, with the design and, you know, the, the implementation of your, the manufacturer doesn't make you any better at running a company. Um, and so I wouldn't say that, and it would make you a different type of person. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're a person who is, is not as honest, I mean, you, you could be, you could have the same sort of results. So I, I think it's the system itself is, the problem and the way the payment works is is what is what leads these to these strain these distortions. Uh, but I would point to some other examples of physicians who are doing things that are um, providing opportunities for ways around the market as it is. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Surgery Center of Oklahoma uh, that is run by uh, a couple of anesthesiologists. Actually, uh, Dr. Keith Smith is sort of the very outspoken, but they've had a They've now moved to a completely outside the uh, the third-party payer system, so it's all cash pay, mm. and all their prices are online. So, for instance, you can get a, a knee scope, and I was just looking that up when you were talking about your uh, meniscectomy that you had. I don't know if you – but their meniscectomy price is thirty-seven forty. Uh, that's out the door. That includes your visits, post-op, all your medications, your anesthesia, everything. Um, and so, you know, you add that to your – $350 MRI, let's say, and you're talking about $4,000. Uh, that's fairly inexpensive. I mean, it's expensive, but it's fairly inexpensive. You go most places. So there are way, there are people who are doing things who are getting around. I talked to a physician recently who is there. They have micro hospitals, and a lot of them actually in Texas that are just ERs. And so instead of having all this funneled through the hospital through a very, very expensive um, where all the prices are jacked up in the ER, these guys are just saying, you know, we can do it for a lot less, like one tenth, and and the the price savings are all there. I mean, they're all very they're very achievable, which is which is one of the things with since healthcare's gotten so expensive, 
and I, and I always hate saying that because the care is not that expensive. It's just the charges are so expensive. Yeah. Um, because I can tell you that the on the clinician end, for the physicians and the nurses, the money is not going to them. I mean, there's been some especially uptick. the nurses. <laughs> well, I, well, no. I mean, I it, yeah. I would I would say from inflationary standpoint, I don't think we've seen much change in our substance Obamacare as well. If I mean, maybe it's gone down. I don't know. Um, but it's not with the with as much as the money the the expense has gone up. It has not been going to providers, and so I you know you can make up a million reasons where where it might be going. But um, I think uh, again, it's just the the problem right now is that is that we're not we're not making it easy to to come up with innovative solutions, partly because of the way the system is, and it's so expensive. But because it's so expensive, now there are, now there are people who are disruptors, like the direct primary care docs, like this Keith Smith, who's in the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot that still needs to be done. So now here's a million dollar question, and I think it, I, I didn't know that about you actually running for state rep, and so I think <laughs> this will give you a unique probably perspective. So. Time and time again, and that's what I love being able to have a show like this where we don't have an angle. It's literally about let's discuss it and have answers. It doesn't matter who we talk to. People who are actually, surprise, surprise, working in the industry on the executive side, on the supply side, on the clinician, the ser- everyone's saying the same thing. It's not the care. It's, it is how much stuff costs. It is how it is delivered. But when you hear people in Congress talk about it, nobody is talking about that. Why is it nobody is we, talking we about, talk that? about is it? Is yeah. it is it the lobbyist? Why is it our Congress? If the answer is so obvious um, of where the problem is, why is it like less than five percent of the discussion is on that? Is it a lobbying thing? Is it that that's kind of the way they want it? What what is your thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I think the lobbyists control quite a bit, and I think. Um, with fear, you can you can convince voters and constituents to not really look for the real answers, because the real answers are very difficult. I mean, basically, I'm telling you that the best way to fix the system is to drop some napalm on it and start over, and that's one as you said is untenable. People are not going to be accepting of that. The only way you can do that is if you have if you somehow allow these innovative ways disruptions to bubble up and people say, hey, that's actually a much better way of, of doing things. And it takes care of itself, basically. It it does. But as you as you try and fix everything with the same solutions you've been trying in the for the last 40, 50 years, you're gonna you're gonna distort the market even further and make it even more difficult to get back to to get to the solution that's gonna work. Uh, you know, whether it comes to drug shortages or I mean there's there there's so many problems <laughs> that it's that it's very hard for for a politician to even because if you're trying to write a law, I mean, what do you write a law about? I mean, you've got you need it to fix like a hundred things, and you can't. It's hard enough getting one thing fixed, or you know, make one change. There are lots of stakeholders, and they all have whether it's a hospital or the pharmaceuticals or devices or the AMA or whoever. You know, they all have a stake in keeping things the way they are because everyone's afraid that it's going to get a lot worse for them. And some for some it would. And that's where I look at what is the role of government. To me, I look at. Congress and the government is, are like referees in a football game. Um, you call everything, you you stifle the game and make it unwatchable. You don't have any referees. Guys are getting their heads taken off and careers okay. ended. So I look at their job is to make sure things are being are being played fairly, right? And so that to me is that maybe what does that even look like? Then I mean, because I I know we 
all we hear about is well in europe uh they're paying uh less for the pharmaceuticals and in mexico and canada um they're paying less and so is it a is it like do we put cost caps do we have some metrics some ways of of figuring out how much things should should cost is it investigating when there's gouging one of the ideas that i had was um, and, and this might be the dumbest idea in the world i don't know you'll sure dr larson <laughs> you'll tell me but i look at it in an emergency um they have systems in place to where there's a hurricane or a natural disaster literally they have ways of identifying when there's price gouging um and you can't price gouge um for something that is a national emergency and necessary Healthcare is is about saving people's lives and keeping people healthier. It, wouldn't that even be a place to start to see where pharmaceutical companies are maybe gouging stuff? Maybe it's in what hospitals or device manufacturers are charging. Um, is that even a decent place to even start? Well, boy, that's a tough <laughs> that's a tough thing to say because. I mean, so this is going this is leaving the realm of medicine. I'd say it almost going the realm of economics, right? Yeah. Because now, yeah. so I would. And I would argue uh, that that price gouging is, in some ways, a necessary function of the market. And this is not very popular, I'm sure. But you know, in, in using your hurricane scenario, let's say Katrina, you know, there's a there's a hurricane comes, and people do not have access to water. <clears throat> so, what naturally happens is a limited supply of water that's available locally. And so, what happens? Well, if you're a store, you raise the price of the water, and or plywood or whatever it might be. You know that that there's a shortage of. And this seems on its face to be cruel and inhumane. But it's a way for the market to to allow for people to recognize that there is there is a limited supply and that there needs to be some rationing done. So that means that if I'm a rich person in Los in New Orleans and there's a and Katrina comes in and there's and there's, you know, I can I can go and I can buy as much water as I want. No matter what the price is, I can afford the water. It's the poor who are going to have trouble with access to the water, right? And so by raising the price, I've done two things. One is I've signaled to other people in other places that they need to bring water in, that there's a profit to be made to sell water or whatever the supply is. And secondly, it, if I'm that rich person, well, I'm not going to buy a million bottles of water. He's going to say, ah, I really don't need that much. I was going to put some, grab some for bathing and for watering my plants uh, but now I'm just going to make sure I get enough because it's pretty expensive. And, you know, I'm not going to pay $20 a bottle of water. I'm just going to get what I'm going to use personally. And so it, it provides those mechanisms to recognize that there's a shortage. And I, likewise, with when it comes to pharmaceuticals, if you put a cap on it, you're just going to cause shortages. And the people who you are trying to protect the most, those who are the disadvantaged, are going to have the least access to that med- pharmaceutical. And so I think... There are other problems with the pharmaceutical industry as well, um, but I think, although I think that on its face seems like it might be a reasonable solution, I think the I think it would end up probably having the a counter be counterproductive. Well, um, it's, it's 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 tough because we're basically asking Congress to regulate human behavior um, because right. you have issues like Purdue Pharmaceuticals where they literally went into Congress and lied 
about how addictive OxyContin or the potential for it to be. And then literally mm -hmm. then they were using their metrics, which were totally legal, to target the areas that they should market to. Um, and mysteriously, there are the places like West Virginia and Tennessee where they're the, the opiate epidemic ravaged. And then literally in the midst of the opiate epidemic, they were having internal discussions then trying to figure out, well, how can we then, um, how can we then start marketing our opiate treatment uh, medications at the same time? And so you hear things like that. Um, and the only reason they came out was because a judge decided to unseal the, the civil suit, basically, for them getting sued. You hear stuff like that, and it's like, how much is enough? How, I mean, I have clients that are that are literally biofarm people. I mean, literally high ups in biofarm, and we've had very frank discussions. And they're just kind of like, well, the reality is, he goes, even if you thought that was wrong, raising the price of insulin, raising the price of of epinephrine or whatever it might be, he goes, the reality is, is that you have a duty to the shareholders. And if you don't do what's best for the shareholders, you're going to lose your job. Not only that, you're going to be in breach of contract and potentially you can get sued. And mm -hmm. then um, you're not going to be able to work in this industry ever again because who wants to hire a CEO that makes a, a decision that's not best for the shareholders? And on top of that, money, right? um, yeah, and on top of that, we're just going to fire you and bring somebody else and that's going to do the same damn thing so you don't win. And, and, and that's sobering from an insider at a biofarm company. One who I wanted to come on the air that flat out <laughs> laughed when it, when I asked to come on the air. But he goes, that's what you're dealing with. And he goes, how are you going to regulate that? Um, you can't go against economic theory, he said, because and I think, Dr. Larson, you nailed it. it you're talking about supply and demand, the very essence, the DNA of our of our of our market of our economic system um mm -hmm. i had one um, person say it's kind of like you know working on a brain tumor and it's enmeshed in the blood supply and the healthy tissue of the brain and you just can't rip out the tumor because you're ripping out the very essence of who the person is and that's what we're asking congress and everyone to do is to operate on a living um, patient where the cancer is enmeshed with the very core of what makes the country successful and 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 what do you do with that? Um, and, and that's <laughs> I feel like where we're kind of at. But I mean, where do I mean? What do we do then? If and I and I always put every one of my guests on the spot. It might be a move, but the way I look at it, there's too many podcasts, too many radio shows where all we do is almost we almost kind of get off on just how smart we are and dive into these problems and pointing the figure and whatever, but at no point do we ever sit there and just go, okay, let's take all this fabulous knowledge and, and, and let's actually come up with a one salient thing, two salient things. If you were president, if you were some position of power to where, okay, there's a couple of initiatives that would be the start, the tip of the sword, basically, that would at least be the, the place where we need to go. And how would you sell that to the public? What, what would you pick? No pressure. You know, yeah, <laughs> boy, there's only about a hundred. So, I think some some easy things. You can do two if you want. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, it's our podcast. We can go as long as right. we want. I exactly. mean, as long as people are listening, right? So, I mean, I guess a one easy one I would say for pharmaceuticals is you can um, you can eliminate a lot of the protections for uh, for the for the the pharmacy benefit managers. Uh, so they have anti-kickback laws. They're exempted from that 1987. 
I think the Trump administration is looking into this. Uh, yep. But that'd be one that'd be one one way to do it, and that's caused that causes massive uh, dis, that's caused massive distortions in the market, uh, which causes which then causes drug shortages. And I mean, I I deal with this every day, and this is why I talk to physicians about because they're like, why do I not have lidocaine, or why don't I have saline, uh, and why you know what's wrong? Because there's not only is there not any saline, but there's not any for like six months. It's crazy. Well, as an anesthesiologist, you guys get hit the worst, right? Um, well, I don't know. There, like, isn't work, there a but... lot of like you always hear about on the news, like, well, we're not able to use this anesthesia, so we got to use this, mm-hmm. or right? No, that's true. I, we had a shortage of propofol, which is our main induction agent, and that's the medicine we use to put people to sleep with, and that was a shortage for probably six months. Uh, I was using propofol from I don't know where it was from because I couldn't read the label. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was from somewhere in Europe, and I don't know where it is. Yeah. Which, which the other travesty of that too is. Much like the person who has shortages and the the rich person gets the drug, well, we're a pretty rich country. So if there's a massive shortage of some drug worldwide, well, we're getting it. But guess who's not getting it? The poor countries in the world. And so they're not they have lose access to those medicines. I know people in this country generally don't care about other people in the world. Uh, you kind of care about your own backyard. But it's just another thing to think about. I mean, whether you're you know a Christian or not or something. But I think those are certain uh, certainly things to think about. But we have these shortages because we have over the years, created a created an um, uh, I don't want to say a market, but we've we've sort of outregulated people to create generic medications, and so it became it came to the point where you're not allowed to come in, into the market essentially economically producing one drug, like being really good at producing, let's say, lidocaine, which is a local anesthetic to numb something up, because you're going to have to have at least ten to get access to these pharmacy benefit managers or group purchasing organizations that control. Most of the most of the supplies that go to large pharmacies or hospitals in this country. Mm-hmm. So if you can't if you can't afford to buy into that system, you can't get your product to any of the markets. And if you can't get your product to market, well, you have no business. And so um, <clears throat> and you can't even get around it. So like let's say a hospital said, well, we're going to try and save some money by finding some guy who can make make one medicine really cheaply. They're not going to do that because they're usually contractually obligated to buy their their products from these um, these large group purchasing organizations or pharmacy benefit managers, and so and so what it does over time is as it gets more and more expensive to bring your mark your drugs to market, you need to be able to produce more and more drugs just to stay relevant, and so suddenly you have only a few manufacturers of any particular drug. There's a fire in your plant. You were talking earlier about um, some Too problems far. with the yeah. yeah some of the production measures. And now there's no one else who's, who's making this who can't just like suddenly ramp up production, right? It takes months to, to get that working. And so now you have a situation where there's just not any drug. It just doesn't exist. And so we have – in no other industry can you imagine in this country – I mean just try and imagine. Would you have the shortage where you get these shortages for not just like two weeks where like the hurricane rips through and like, okay, we don't have any lumber and then we just you know, ship it from somewhere else. We're talking about – Nothing for six to nine months. I mean, that's mm-hmm. insane. You never run out of toothpaste or toilet paper or anything else. I mean, every other product, food, I mean, everything we have and we have access to. Yet, for some reason, pharmaceuticals, we don't. And it's because we've distorted the market so significantly that we've made it impossible for people to enter the market. Uh, so I think that's one thing I would do. Um, that's not going to solve much of the healthcare system, but that solves a little bit of it. Well, I um, heard that, um, and that's... What you're talking about is also what my biotech client basically talked about with us. He goes, man, like, he brought up the whole point. He goes, really, 
He goes, he goes, generics are, yeah, they bring prices down. But the problem is, though, they bring the prices down so much to where then we still got to charge a higher amount just to make a profit. And then, then it becomes almost not really even profitable. He goes, so generics, even though they technically may bring costs down, if there is really only one, he goes, we'd all be charging a hell of a lot less because we're only one making money. But he then said, too, the cost to bring a drug from from um, from conceptualization to market is is hundreds of millions of dollars and the drugs that they're trying to um the drugs that they're trying to develop right now they're not working all that great like um was it pfizer completely pulled out of alzheimer's research when their models basically um uh, for their CRISPR research and I won't get into the you know, yeah, yeah, geek. Sure. Um, I'm a geek when it comes down to biofarm <laughs> stuff. But literally, when their model only worked in mice and they started doing human trials and then they realized the model only worked, they spent billions on it, none of it worked. And they have zero idea and they pulled out of it. Like the Pfizer, one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies, goes, we can't do it. We can't afford it. And she goes, he goes, you're asking investors to pony up all that money on the hope that maybe there's a 5% chance it will work. And now you have DNA based vaccines that they're all working on. It's he goes, that's why you got to charge that money. And it sucks. Um, but I think what most people, Dr. Larson want to know is, is America being ripped off though? Because why is it that Europe, Mexico and Canada are paying less for the same medications? Like no one has really been able to give me a straight answer on that what can, i mean that seems to be like is there a reason why that isn't something we can do based on that so i'll ask you a simple question so you want to buy um let's say you want to buy some toilet paper let's say real simple product right uh we're talking the good they, stuff like charmin like the or we're, we're talking, talking charmin we're talking charmin high grade stuff. Uh, double ply the one where you almost sure. sing as you're wiping your butt it this feels amazing right. all right they sing songs about it they're bears and stuff so <laughs> um so you want to buy some toilet paper and then you go to the grocery store and they're charging 45 dollars a roll for Bastards. toilet paper you want and, to spend and it. everywhere you, you go to. in town it turns out everywhere you go in town it's that price and i mean this kind of happened suddenly in fact you look in, you look online. You're like, I got to go Walmart or Amazon, and you can't find it for less than forty five dollars a roll. So, what would you do? Would you just decide to, you know, buy a bidet and you know, put it in your bathroom? <laughs> I mean, that might it, be a it solution. Depends, you know, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm that's you know, back there, you know. So, I mean, the, maybe the Europeans are onto something, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> or you might say, Hey, I wonder how much toilet paper costs in Toronto or in you know, Bangladesh or whatever, and just ship it over. It's got to be cheaper than that, right? You put on those container ships. So, I mean, I would say the first answer is, why don't you just get it from every, any other country in the world? I mean, if, if it's so much cheaper in Canada, why don't we get it from Canada? Well, people do. Yeah. I mean, illegally, right? Well, why is it right. illegal, right? I mean, the, and the, the, the FDA will kind of, well, you know, we don't test it, and that's true. They may not test it. But I, I think it wouldn't take very long for people to figure out and have ways of testing, have a, you know, outside party testing services to make sure they verify how good the medication works. So, I mean, it's not like these are – the solutions are not that complicated. I mean, we're not, we, don't have, we don't have a wall yet, so we can certainly get medications <laughs> in this country, right? So, I mean, it, I know a lot of countries have price controls, and so they don't allow the pharmaceuticals to charge a certain amount of money for the pharmaceuticals. So the pharmaceutical companies here in this country, they charge it more because they can, because we don't have, a, we don't have an alternative or ability to get it from somewhere else. I mean, that would solve it pretty quickly. And either they're going to raise the prices in the rest of the world, which I don't care about that, 
personally, yeah. uh, or they're going to, but they'll have to lower it here, right? Because they'd have to remain competitive. I, I guess you know a lot of if you a lot of our problems, and it, even when it comes to drug development, we have a lot of trials and things the FDA does that have not been proven to be very helpful. I mean, the FDA rarely finds problems with things until it's been on market for quite a while. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the testing is probably unnecessary. Uh, there, you know, you're testing efficacy now, whereas you, you're not testing safety. I mean, FDA makes this, the statement that they're always just testing for safety, but a lot of their tests are for efficacy, which means you know how well it works. And that's a really long process. It's really difficult, and it's probably it'd be easier just putting in the market and finding out if it works or not, rather than you know, rather than having because uh, rarely is safety a concern, and they're usually found out pretty quickly. We saw with the uh, Ebola drug, um, it was it was what pre-stage clinical testing, and and at the end they're just like, well, who gives a crap? Just get it out there. We need it. Mysteriously, right. it was pretty damn effective. Now I know yeah. there's some pretty wicked side effects to it, but it's like you do see where. If they really want something to be fast tracked, they kind of will. Well, they, but they don't. I mean, look at look at uh, the uh, what was the story with the the AIDS uh, treatment oh, in Texas? Um, the Texas Buyers Club or Dallas Buyers yeah, Club, right? Yeah. That's a great oh, example yeah. of how the FDA really prevent, was killing people. I mean, mm-hmm. you can say they were keeping us safe, but they weren't. There were there were thousands of people dying because they were unable to get access to these medications in this country legally. I mean, that's I don't know. It's hard sometimes to not look at the federal government sometimes and the, the regulatory bodies or Congress uh, legislators as a little bit less like referees, but more like mob bosses. Right. Well, there was and, a huge expose, wasn't there a huge expose? It was on 60 Minutes where a lot of them basically the second they get done at the FDA, then they go work as lawyers for the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. Oh, sure. And yeah. yeah there, I mean, there's you're uh, right. I mean, it is seem pretty damn incestuous. What, when you watch the commercials for the. The, you'll see about on tax time, about two months from now, you'll start seeing all the people who are, uh, you know, I can lower your tax. I can get the IRS to settle for whatever, blah, blah, blah. I used, And what is the thing they always say as part of I used to work in the IRS. I know how it works, right? Yeah. And I mean, there is Taxes. without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's the same for every industry. If you think about it, anyone who's regulated by the government, no one's going to want to have a civil servant job where they're making, well, now maybe they would. They're making 100, they're almost all making six figures, but... Uh, but you can make maybe twice that if you go into if you're in the I don't know whatever department here and you're regulating you know minerals and stuff, they either have to hire people who know what they're doing, which means you have to hire someone from that industry. So they're obviously going to be very partial to the industry itself that they're regulating, uh, which means they're probably going to be soft on people who are um, they, they're former employers, right? Uh, <laughs> and especially if they want to have a job after they're done with their job, they're sent to the Department of Interior or wherever, they're going to want to. They're going to want a job, and so they're going to want to treat those guys nicely. And so you're probably having people who are regulating who are not probably looking for the best interest of uh, of what their I guess what their advertised is as far as uh, and and that probably goes for every industry, right? I mean, every department, every head of the treasury is someone from Goldman Sachs. It seems right. I mean, <laughs> it's absurd. It's, it's uh, it doesn't matter what administration, what party, right? Uh, so I think oftentimes the re- the the notion of regulation as being a cure all is probably not it's probably not at all it's cracked up to be and I think that that probably exists in medicine as much as it does in any other industry it's probably not unique in that sense but we feel it every day because you know most of us aren't digging for you know gold in our backyard but we're all getting healthcare yeah hey Dad uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I know we want to start wrapping things up there but I know I think I heard one of you, were you trying to get something in there. No, I was agreeing and all that because I remember when DRGs came out. 
when they came out in the mid-90s, when all of a sudden I remember a doctor sitting alongside of me, and they were, you know, they were starting to explain what the DRG was going to be. It was the government's way of trying to make the charging system simpler to be able to help reduce costs. <laughs> what actually is a DRG? I, I have no idea. It's yeah, the diagnostic rate. That what's that's what they would charge on. That you would have to then give a code, you know, to what what were you treating that patient for, and then that DRG rolled up to a uh, a rate, you know, what you were going to be reimbursed. And I always will remember something. What he told me, he goes, "Well, you just you just skyrocketed healthcare costs with the DRGs." Mm-hmm. He said that oh. is the regulation that. It, <laughs> He goes, if this is the government's way of doing it, he goes, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah, the hospital, you guys are going to have to start hiring do- lawyers. You're going to have to hire doctors to help you out with the rape groups. You're going to have to monitor. He goes, this is not going to help in any way. So why why would you they know? do something like that if if everyone's well, it looking at it going? It was the Clinton. It was I think it was during the yeah it was during the Clinton when they came in to try to uh, simplify Medicare to try to save costs on Medicare by coming up with a rate group that they felt as though it would have a path. So as the patient was going through the system, you were giving him uh, this diagnostic group of how you were treating him, you know, that that patient. And it was supposed to really simplify uh, and help reduce the costs on Medicare, but your HMOs, everybody, third parties, now all went by, you know, the DRG. And, uh, you know, that then became fair where consulting companies were going out and hiring uh, from the uh, government, from Medicare. They were hiring guys as they were retiring who knew how to use the DRG group to go in and tell the hospitals how to increase their revenue. Because the hospitals were now losing revenue because they weren't really following you know, as the patient was going through the system, they could move into different rate groups. You know, and so there, and then when I was there, uh, when we were talking at the time when the medicated stent came out and all that, and the Europe was already using the medicated stent, they just went right to it. And, you know, uh, one of the cardiologists we were talking said, you know, Europe's already doing, already using the medicated stent. He goes, we're sitting here doing trials upon trials upon trials, and there's no appreciable difference. We should have just brought the thing out right away. Well, they were doing so, um, AZT treatment but, in Europe before it hit here. Isn't that where Magic Johnson basically yeah. went? He went to Europe for God knows how long, came back. I'm, I'm HIV negative now. I mean, um, yeah, well, you, I think if he gets you tested get now, he comes yep. back negative. And then you get into the point where tort reform is, you know, uh, the ability to litigate, you know, to sue. You know, there, there's a cost of, you know, in the United States, we're one of the most uh, litigating country in the world when it comes to health care. You know, uh, so we add more and more costs into the system that has to be born somewhere. And, uh, you know, when you take a look at your TV, just, just watch TV in the mornings. Every, every lawyer in every world is if this if you had this mesh and you died, if you had this, if you had this implant, if you <laughs> took this drug and you died or you had a relative, the whole thing is nothing but litigation. Oh, yeah. 
in the healthcare, huh. and, and uh -huh. healthcare is so susceptible for litigation because it, it's not like you're driving a car and the wheels fall off. Is the people die? They could be harmed by all of it. So that comes out in the courts award big money. To it. So you know, there's there's a lot of other elements that go on in the United States that do not necessarily go on in the other countries. You know, to where they have it. So the cost of uh, using those devices or those drugs is a little bit lower to the companies. They're less susceptible that they have to carry. You know, I know it, it's not the whole thing on it, but you know, um, I, I think it's just stuff that the United States is going to have to really start you know, looking at very closely. And I think there's, I think if we're hearing a lot of what you guys are saying, you know, there's, there are some very clear areas we need to be targeting. And it just seems like there are actions that we can take. But once again, it takes people understanding and knowing where to even look. I mean, Bill, like, you know, you're, you're not in the medical industry. You're the one guy here. There's like the one episode where it's like, right. well, I'm not in the industry, but like, I mean, you're a smart guy. I mean, like when you're hearing all this, I mean, as a voter, as, as an independent, like what do you sit there? And what, I mean, what goes through your mind when you're hearing all this? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to digest all that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of variables um, to consider. So, you know, as being just a voter and being a person that's not in the medical field, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to decipher what exactly is real, what is BS, what is greed, what is necessary to, you know, have adequate yet affordable health care. I mean, even now as we listen, it's hard for me to determine, you know, what the solution is. It really is. And, and, <laughs> It's just a complicated issue. It really is. And, and I don't know what, what an easy solution would, would be. I mean, it's an enigma wrapped in a riddle. It really the thing is. is, isn't it like completely clear, though, on your end, that what they're talking about has nothing to do with what's actually wrong with health care? I mean, it's like <laughs> we can at least agree upon that one. <laughs> right. And that's Absolutely. where I think – and it's like – I mean, think about it. Like, this was – you know, all right, this, we're an hour, an hour and 15 minutes in practically, right? And 15 minutes longer than we normally kind of go. But literally, we, you almost have to talk about this thing on a certain level of depth. And, 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 and Dad, Dr. Lawson, we probably, what, scratched, what, 3% maybe of the problem? Is that it's even bad. being, like, generous probably. here? Maybe. <laughs> and so, lucky. Yeah, and so this is how complicated it is. Um, but... But this is where we need to start looking. We we have some very we have experts, people who have actually done it, not lobbyists, not congressmen, people who have spent their entire life in this field on varying levels, all saying the same thing. These are the areas we need to look at. We need to get it cost down. Um, what is the role of our government? It is so convoluted, but we have to start looking in different areas. We have to start demanding our congressmen, our, 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 our governors, um, our, our, our media even, to start talking about this in a different way. And, and that's what I look at is that's why I'm always so excited by, you know, like, you know, by all the different conversations we're, we're basically having today. I mean, Dr. Larson is having a podcast out there talking about these things. We're talking about it. Um, more people, are, I think, are opening up going, all right, we maybe need to have a better understanding. We're never going to fully understand it. But we at least understand that, okay, it's, if we're hearing these extremes, like keep it the same, 
um, throw everything and throw napalm on it. That's not the answer. We have to, we owe it to ourselves. It's too important. It's healthcare. It's people's lives. Um, it is too damn important um, for something to keep going on like the way that it is. Um, Dr. Larson, um, before we bust out of here and everything, any final words um, or just kind of final summations just from our conversation and then tell everybody where we they can find you, your podcast, and anything else you'd like to plug? Well, I, I think I said to point to emphasize your point that it's a very super complicated issue. I think it's hard because you have to spend a little bit of time thinking about the problems. And there's, there are some easy solutions to some problems, but in generally speaking, there is no simple solution like Bill mentioned. I mean, it'd be nice if we could just say we do X, Y, Z, and then we're going to get exactly what we want. And, and unfortunately, we have such a complicated system and it's such a gigantic part of our economy. There's just no way you can just unravel it easily. And so it's going to, it, it's going to really require uh, people to try and look for ways probably out on their own to get out of it, whether, it's a, whether they're physicians or nurses administrators, device makers, laboratories, you know, imager, or patients. And so I think that's why I'm, I'm excited by seeing the people who are finally saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to look for a solution in DC or in my case, Lansing or your, for you, Columbus. Uh, I'm going to look for, I'm just going to make my own solution right now. And I'm going to, and I believe that I can provide a superior product and not to that I'm keeping the cost down, but I'm keeping the price down, right? Because I think we can probably all have agreed here that the costs are not really too high. It's the price of things. Uh, because I don't know where the money's going, but it's certainly not going to actually uh, actually where it, where we say it is. And so it's not a cost issue as, as much as price. Um, I, you know, I would recommend anyone obviously listen to my podcast, the Paradox.com, uh, P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S. We talk about all these issues and a lot more uh, in depth. We also, I've also go over where I talked about issues like direct um, forced organ harvesting in China, which is uh, mortifying. Um, but uh, these are things I think you know they're important to know about, and I think they're very, certainly interesting from a human standpoint. Also, you know, physician suicides twice the rate of the general population. I think that's an important thing for people to recognize. Yeah, and, I've been hearing and, a and ton about that actually. Yeah. yeah, and so and so you know why? And I, and I don't have an answer for that, but I talked to some people who I think know a little bit more. Uh, but I think these are all things that that should interest people because we all have we all interact with the healthcare system. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I I think that's the only thing I plug is just my show. I think uh, outside of that, there's just to try and try and be more discerning when people talk about things because it's, they all have a, a vested interest in probably maintaining the status quo or improving their position whether that's a large physician organization or hospitals uh, or, you know, device manufacturers, insurers, pharmaceuticals, there are probably solutions that would work, but, you know, we just have to be kind of mindful about what we're doing and not just, and not just fixing one tiny point without thinking about the possible unintended consequences. Well said, well said. And we appreciate the work that you're doing. And, you know, I think, I think the, as the, the presidential, uh, election you know apparently there's one in 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 two years so uh you may have heard about it i imagine healthcare... i'm running by the way just so you know oh you are what are you gonna be running for Every, everyone's pretty much announced so i'm just kidding i'm actually <laughs> <laughs> i mean hey you know what hey man i i think more of people like us need to do run though even though it's expensive and kind of a headache um you know what hey, i think we at least no one would argue that our intentions are not in the right place and we're knowledgeable and we're trying to help um you know, and I imagine 
we, we are definitely going to have you back on the air, especially as everyone starts talking about healthcare, because I think we got to keep everyone honest and have some reactions. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and everybody, once again, Dad, thanks so much for mm-hmm. always staying up late and supporting the show and just uh, passing on a lot of your knowledge. I mean, it's all this stuff is like so important. I can't, you know, I can't express that enough that these are tough subjects and they're sometimes dry. And I think we're kind of making it fun. Um, but they're necessary and we have to know it because it is too damn important. It affects every single one of us. So, um, yeah, thank everybody for once again being on the show and yeah, you know, um, it's, 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 uh, it's, a everyone tries to make things black and white out there, but I think as we're kind of figuring out, it's gray, all this stuff is gray and we have to keep it in the gray. And that's what this show is about. So on behalf of myself, Dr. Larson for our guest, uh, Richard Devine, the professor, dad, Bill, the armchair quarterback. We can get um, Bill at the armchair quarterback.net or .org. I believe it's .org. And uh, everybody on behalf of the uh, myself, uh, Reporters Network, this is Gray Matters Radio. And remember, everybody, everyone starts asking, hey, man, you Democrat, you Republican, you liberal, you conservative? Fuck that noise. My ass is gray. All right, everybody. Until next time. <laughs> You have a good evening. Peace. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. <laughs>